Good afternoon and welcome to this special edition of Addiction Talk. We have a special panel with us today as we talk about veterans and mental health and combating the stigma. Now I have joining me Dan Cirillo. He is a Navy SEAL veteran. I have Annette Wittenberger. She's an Army combat veteran. And I have Stephen Kuhn um, joining us all the way from Hungary, who is an Army combat veteran. And so we're excited to have each of them on the panel today because there's so many things that our veterans and even active military personnel are dealing with right now. And so we wanted to start this conversation to get people talking about mental health and the stigma and how it's a barrier. So first, I want to give each of our panelists an opportunity to share a little bit about their military experience and their passion. Each of them has taken a stance to really be a mental health advocate. So I'm going to start with Stephen um, Kuhn. Army combat veteran. Tell us a little bit about your military experience and just your passion on this topic. Sure thing. I, I enlisted in the uh, U.S. Army in 1986 and I uh, was sent to uh, Germany where I served. And in 1990, uh, December, I went to Iraq for Operation Desert Storm. Uh, went over there with the 8th Cavalry and served and returned. Uh, a piece of what I was missing uh, left over there and left some friends there as well. And I ended up getting a European out staying in Europe. And I've been here ever since, almost 30 years. And the reason I'm I'm very passionate about this is because I've lost more friends to, uh, veteran friends to suicide than I have to battle uh, on, on the battlefield. And I personally had a, um, a, a very, very close call with a suicide back in 2008 where I ended up homeless as a 40, 40 year old man. So um, when recovering from that, I came back and said, that's not gonna happen to me again or anyone that I can, I can help ensure that it doesn't happen. Well, Stephen, just hearing your story, very powerful. I can understand, you know, your passion to wanting to do that. One, having that yourself, experiencing those thoughts and losing more friends. I think that is very telling, losing more friends to suicide than you did in serving in the wars and, um, you know, your time during the service. And I'm sure, Dan, I've heard, I've interviewed you before, so I know you have a very similar story to Stevens, but explain to me a little bit more about your military background and even your passion. I know you're the chief of staff at American Addiction Centers, uh, but your passion to see us tackle this issue around mental health and veterans. Yeah, I spent uh, just under 15 years in the military, um, deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan a few different times, and um, then, you know, got out and did civilian contracting uh, for the government. And uh, along the way, found myself kind of going down a dark hole until um, essentially, you know, same place. I was uh, close to losing my job, which was with a high net worth family. Uh, I was close to losing my marriage. Um, had really just kind of alienated myself into a dark hole and went and got sought out help. And then found out what the joy of and peace of sobriety actually brings. You know, first time I've been sober since I was 12 years old. And um, I started wanting to help my friends. And just like Stephen is a... I've lost way more front friends post-war than I did during the war, and um, learning what what we suffered from wanted me to wanted, drove me to start helping people. You know, I think when you're telling your story, Dan, just hearing the challenges that you faced, and first of all, congratulations on your sobriety. I think that's huge to say for the first time in your life since you were 12 years old, you found sobriety, and now you're going back to help your fellow you know, fellow veterans do that. And so Annette, when you hear, you know, the stories of Steven and of Dan, tell me about your story and your passion in this area. No, I, 
I mean, they're so brave, both of them, to be able to speak about it because that's one of the reasons why I started to do that. I, you know, in the military, I, I retired almost five years ago, but I was a master at hiding all my feelings and I masked them with several different types of addiction, whether it was monetary or drinking or hanging with the wrong people. I was just a different person. So when I retired, it, it was like a volcano, a volcano erupted and everything started to come out on why on what all these little feelings I had that I never was able to talk about. And so I started my, my website, my blog to act as a safe place for me to, to talk about it. And, and I started to realize I wasn't alone. And so, you know, the more I talked about it, the more I, I saw there was other people struggling and not just veterans, not just military. It's everybody, um, anybody off the street that are suffering in silence. And so I think it's so important to, start the conversation. You know, I, I've lost people to suicide, my, my own children of um, battle with depression. And so it's, you know, I need to do something about it because I don't want the, I, I don't want them to think that it's not okay or that it's, yeah, that it's not okay to, to, to have these feelings. So that's, that's why I'm so passionate about it. I, I need to be uh, a better role model for, for my own children. Well, you know, well, first of all, I want to thank all of you for being just so vulnerable um, to sharing your experiences, because I think it's through that vulnerability, you know, Annette, Dan, all of you sharing your personal struggles with mental health and Dan, you and addiction um, that is going to change this narrative that is going to help some veterans seek help. So when we're thinking about the challenges that veterans and military personnel face, um, Dan, I'll start with you. What do you find are some of the challenges? Why are we seeing so many veterans? I think I read something that said one in three, um, a third of veterans suffer with some type of mental health condition. Why do you think we're seeing that? I think the number one thing is that people have to understand for the last 20 years we've been at war. Um, and so there's a lot of guys out there who spent a significant amount of time in combat under high stress environments and what ends up happening is if you really just, I like to break it down to the most simplistic terms is for, for me and for the people I was surrounded by with, they were light switches. They turned us on, but then they never turned us off. And so you lead your life in the military, you know, very, very high stress. Everything's moving very fast. Your expectations are very high. And then one day it's just over, right? There is no, you maybe have a ceremony, maybe you don't. And the next, you know, you're civilian. In my world, a very secret world, the phone stops ringing. You can't call your buddies and say what's going on. Their schedule, you know, for a SEAL, our schedule is 28 and four. You're gone 28 days, you're home four days, over and over and over again. And so you really don't have anybody to hang out with. Next thing you know, you're still a SEAL in your brain, but you're no longer in a SEAL environment. You're a civilian in a world that is completely foreign to you, in, in my case. And um, you have no nobody to communicate with. You still drink the exact same way as we did the SEAL teams. And for me, the SEAL teams just walking around the compound, you're probably going to burn five, 6,000 calories. That's not PT. That's not missions, whatever. But, you know, in the civilian world, you're not going to burn 5,000 calories in front of the couch, but you're drinking the same way. And in the teams, you have respites between drinking periods. Well, in the civilian world, there's no respites. I used to tell myself over and over again, I'm not an alcoholic because I don't drink on Mondays. Right? That was literally what I would tell myself until one day I found myself drinking on Mondays. My hands are shaking. And um, I think that's the biggest challenge is that, you know, it, it's the same words we use all the time, camaraderie, teamwork, et cetera. And when you're when you are institutionalized into that, 
you are part of something bigger than yourself. And then one day you're just not, who are you? And a lot of people in that two to five year time frame that you really, I specialize in post-military are the ones that I'm struggling with. And I think so many people believe this is a young person's problem. Everybody that I treat is E7 and above and 40 year age or above. And so this yeah. is a very adult problem, very mature problem, very post-military problem. So, yeah, I yeah. Think if, I, if I can add to that, actually, the higher the, the, the higher the age, the higher the risk uh, for suicide. I saw some statistics about that. That the, the most at risk are those that are the oldest, uh, the oldest veterans, because it's usually never been taken care of. And what what Dan said is spot on. And in my experience, um, especially writing the book that we wrote, Unleash Your Humble Alpha, we we speak about identity. You said it, Dan. Is that when you get out of the military? That bigger mission's gone. So you go get a job and you pay and you get, you make money to do what? To pay the bills. What, where's the mission? Where's that bigger purpose? Something bigger than yourself. And you carry that identity with you. I'm a Navy SEAL. I'm a veteran. I'm an Army guy. I'm a combat veteran. Whatever you call yourself. And that's of no use in the civilian world. So you're carrying this baggage with you to hold on to something with your life that meant the world to you because of that bigger mission. But it's all gone. And that's detrimental because we look for uh, something to call ourselves. Like, who are we, right? And so in our book, Unleash Humble Alpha, we speak about identity, purpose, and certainty. Who am I really? What am I all about? And as a veteran, and my co-author, my I'm a veteran as Special Forces Green Beret, Lane Ballone, we write specifically about this reason for the specific reason because we've experienced it both um, very, very uh, intimately, if, if you will. Yeah, I think that's very powerful, you know, to think about, like, who am I? You go from having this mission in life, you go from having a purpose, and then, like Dan said, I think that was such a powerful, you know, analogy, like a light switch. You know, one moment you're on, and then now you're off. And how do you regroup? And Annette, I know you said you just retired from the military five years ago. What was that transition? What started to happen to you with your own mental health? I know you said you started to struggle some. What was that like for you, just that transition of back to civilian life? No, I, and I'm listening to, to Dan and Steven on both both of that the identity piece. I So I was dual military for over 17 years. So I was a military spouse, I was a soldier, and I was a mom my whole career. And so when I retired, it was like, who am I supposed to be? I didn't know how to be just a military spouse. I was so used to being a soldier. I let that uniform define me. And all those report cards or evaluations that we received, those define me as a person. I let that because every time you got an evaluation, it was like, oh, man, do I suck as a leader or am I a good leader? It was that piece of paper that I was so used to getting that I didn't know what I was supposed to do anymore. And in my mind, I said, well, I'll go get a job. I want to be a contractor or a GS civilian, whatever. But I didn't know how to do that. You know, we go through that one or two week uh, transition process, but they they focus so much on resumes and what to wear and how to how to speak and all these things. But they don't talk about the mental health piece. And, you know, I had some peers that were like, man, you're retiring. That is so cool. I wish I was in your shoes. Hmm. But we weren't. It wasn't like that. Like I wasn't ready. I was I wasn't ready mentally to go into that next step. And because I retired earlier than I was than I had anticipated, I had six months to figure my life out. It was like, uh, are you kidding? How do you how do you do that? So it was like I was so focused on out processing, getting out of the you know my unit and and turning in everything. I didn't have time to sit down and think, who am I supposed to be? 
And that's, you know, that's, I think, we, and then when I was alone in my thoughts in the house, not having to show up to formation anymore, I lost it. I didn't know what to do. And I saw all my other peers still serving and I felt guilty because it's like, well, if they can do it, why can I still do it? And what does this make me as a person? Because I didn't get this in my full 20, all these little things. And as a, I'm just going to say it as a female, I felt like a failure. I felt like such a failure because I was supposed to be the, I was supposed to be tough. I was supposed to show my kids that, you know, I could do it, show my daughter that mom, mom could stick it out. And I had, I didn't have any of that. And so I didn't even, I didn't even attend my own retirement ceremony because I was so distraught. It was, it was horrible, but you know, it's, it's better now, but at that time it was not good. Mm -hmm. And when you think about, you know, as I listen to you and that just sharing your story, suffering in that silence and Dan, you mentioned that as well. What is it like? Why do you feel like there is this silence code to some extent? Because you did have, you know, you have family or people around you sometimes, but it fi I find just from hearing you and Annette that a lot of people go to this place of, you know, the silence of holding it all in or not telling anybody what's going on. Why do you think that's happening? Yeah, so, it, it, yeah. sorry about you. Um, well, go ahead. I, it, it's one of those things where the, in our world, we only talk to each other. Right now, in our world, all of us are so guarded to say to, to divulge any kind of weakness. Because in in the, I know, especially where I come from, you, back in my day, I hate to say that, but back in my day, if you said weakness, you you were gone. That was just like a cut and dry thing. Hey, I'm having some issues. Oh, hey, he's jacked up. He's gone. And so you hide it, and then every now and then you'll have a friend, and you'll you'll be able to speak to that friend. But because you're in such this machismo environment. To say you're struggling is, is a real effort. And I'll give you a good example. The, the night I got in my first engagement in Iraq and I, and I, I took somebody's life, I, everybody patted me on the back. We drank. Everything was great. And I went to my room. One guy came in there and, 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 I, and I, I was not in a good place. And I did not divulge how I felt to anybody other than one guy. Right. And then when it was his turn in that same position, he never came back out of his room ever again. Right. And so the, you see that and it, you very much struggle with wanting to open up in, in, in my time in the war. We didn't have any counselors there. We didn't have a physician with us when I was there the first couple of times. And so who do you talk to? We can't talk to your family because they don't have no clue what you're talking about. We can't talk to your friends outside of the military because they really didn't have any friends. And so you just end up absorbing it. And you basically say, this is it's natural for me to absorb, carry this body armor. This is my backpack. I'm hard. Anybody who talks weakness is weak. Et cetera, et cetera. And that's the way I felt about it. And that's what I convinced myself that if you're quiet, you're strong. If you speak, you're weak. And so I just didn't talk. You know, I, as a matter of fact, I didn't talk until I actually went and got treatment. It was the first time I ever spoke anything. And I didn't talk about the hundreds of missions where things were, you know, whatever. I talked about the one where it all went bad. And that's the one that I struggle with the most. So I think, I think, you know, none of us want to be a burden. Right, so we don't want to be a burden to anybody. We're taught you you carry your weight. Period. That's it. Right, so you don't want to be a burden to your family, to your wife, your kids, or whoever you have, friends, family, and it's it's a pride thing too. You know, you went through what you went through and you made it, and now you can't go out there, you know, complaining about it, whatever. It's it's a very selfish thing to do, but it's also sort of like protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. Right, I mean, you don't you don't you want to worry I, to, to this day. I mean, I've been out 30 years and I don't tell my wife half the stuff that went on. I don't want to burden her with that stuff. 
but thank, 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 thankfully through my work and like Annette's in our group as well, you know, we have a lot of people that we can talk to and we, that we you know, pass things around with and, and hash it out. And the, you know, a lot of veterans, we look for a reason uh, to stay this way, right? We, we really do. You know, we, we, we hang on to those things that make us feel good about the past and we can't let the past dictate our future. You know, we have to create new as we move forward with imperfect action, ensuring that we're creating certainty in our lives to create that new life. But if we're always attached to that old identity and we're always looking back and it's going to, we're going to carry it with us as the years go by, you know, that the baggage gets less and less and less, but it's still there. And, and I got to tell you, even though I went through the suicide and I ended up in a monastery in the mountains of Austria, um, you know, living it out, trying to get that out of my head. I still have days. Memorial Day, Monday, I'm here in Hungary and I, it just hit me man. it hit me. I thought of my, my, my buddy that I lost in my arms, Sergeant Young M. Dillon, rest in peace. It, it hit me like a like a baseball bat to the face out of nowhere. I was completely in the basement, and I'm thinking like, how can this be? It's been thirty freaking years, mm -hmm. you know. But with time comes knowledge and experience. And what do you do? You call a buddy who who knows your situation and can pull you out of that. So you know, as time goes by, if you don't work with it, it gets worse. But as time goes by, when you work with it, it can get better. Yeah, and enjoy. Net brought up a really good point about failure and about guilt. You know, behind me, I, I call it my Danzium, right? Um, but for years, I wouldn't allow my wife to hang any of this stuff up. Hmm. You know, I, I literally felt like a quit. I mean, the only thing I ever quit in my life was the SEAL teams. When my when I decided to get out, it wasn't like I was like, hey, I'm getting out to do this better thing. I just was like, I, I, I mean, literally, I, I, felt, I felt like a quitter. And hmm. it was reasons associated with that. I, I, I really looked at... at I really look at the, at the macro instead of the micro. The micro was very much Dan staying in the teams, doing a 30-year career, deploying over and over again. And the macro was my wife essentially saying, you're going to die. Um, and so I'm moving to Hawaii to be with my friends because that's what's going to happen to you. And, I, and that's what hit me hardest was who's going to raise my little girl. And I made a decision that, you know, for me, I got lucky. I was able to roll into a civilian job doing the same exact job that I did in the teams, but get paid quadruple as the amount. Um, so it was... It was a good, easy transition, but it was very much, I felt like a complete and utter failure. I felt you, like a you, quitter, It's you know? funny you say that about the about hanging it up. Like I have this up here, this 8th Calvary. I, I hung it up like a year ago. You know, it's been 30 yeah. years. I, I never had any, I, matter of fact, I was out of the veteran space until three and a half years ago. I didn't do anything in the veteran space. I went in the, into the veteran space three and a half years ago because I finally thought that I caught my footing. And I could add some value, and we ended up, you know, with the Vetpreneur Tribe, grew it to fifteen thousand members. We have a Warrior Council. We have the the the, the Humble Alpha Veteran Empowerment Investment Fund. It's going, um, you know, it's it's launching soon in order to invest in um, uh, veteran-owned businesses. And this is all things that are way above my uh, my pay grade, if you will, right? <laughs> and well, you this, know bigger vision that's that bigger vision right it's that what you're talking about it's that thing that's bigger than ourselves it takes on it's like an open source kind of thing where everyone can can, can contribute so we all have that bigger mission it's it's exciting you know when i think about what you guys have just said that burden because here's the thing that i worry that there's a veteran who's listening to this conversation today who says i'm carrying that baggage that baggage is i i haven't talked to anyone about this i'm struggling and so what do we say in that to those veterans who right now who may be listening or see the replay and are like, I feel like I'm in that situation, but I don't know how to talk about it or even begin the conversation. 
You know, my fears, like we talked about, suicides have increased during the pandemic among military personnel by 20%. So Annette, what do we say to that person right now who's listening or who may be struggling? You're not alone. I mean, I have people that reach out to me anonymously through my website or through Instagram and saying, I don't, I don't know how to do this. You know, how do you do it? And we just need to have a conversation slowly, but you're not alone. I mean, look at all three of us are here because we've all been through something. And now we're here to tell you that you can make it. And, you know, that's how I felt too. I was, I didn't know how to tell anybody. I didn't want to feel like I was a burden. I didn't want to be seen as weak. Um, I didn't want to lose my security clearance, all these little things that built up, but you're, you're not alone. Just you know, I want to say just reach out. Sometimes that's hard for people. But if you listen to this, at least, you know, think, think yeah. that we are here, you know, without judgment. Here, yeah. Here's an anecdotal sort of explanation that we have a lot of, a lot of us have survival guilt. Even if you do go to war, it's like you have levels of survival guilt. I was trained in the military. I didn't go to war, but my buddies did. I have survival guilt, right? And if you go to war and you don't get into a battle, you have survival. You know, it's, it's, it just keeps going. Even if you're wounded, you have a purple heart, the whole works, but you didn't die, you didn't fall, mm -hmm. you're, you have survivor guilt. It just it, it carries with you. And I had a guy call me, I don't know, about a year ago. Um, he said he, he was crying. He was, he was a guy from the Vector North Tribe. And he said, I can't do this anymore, Stephen. I can't. I'm successful. My business is going great. I have a great relationship. But I left six guys over there. Mm -hmm. Why me, man? Why me? What the hell? Why? Why do I have to carry all this? I said, dude, and I don't know where it came from, but I said, dude, they're up there right now, either playing spades or dominoes, looking down at you, and they're saying, don't mess this up. You're down there, we're up here, we got you. Mm -hmm. And he was like, holy cow, I never thought of that. I never thought of it that way. And that's how I embody it, because I remember when I, left, when I lost Sergeant Dillon, his last look in my eyes before he passed, was don't f this up like i saw it i felt it like don't f this up this is your chance and when when we carry that with us it sort of helps alleviate that survivor guilt because i know they're watching you know they're up there smoking and joking as we used to say you know looking down looking coon you know like <laughs> you know he's doing pretty good that kind of thing so i try to reframe what it is that i felt before and turn it into that positive that i'm doing it for them you know, and, 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 you know, a lot of, we, of the people we work with knows how hard we push in order to do it for them. So, it, you know, sometimes, sometimes reframing that thought and then reaching out and saying, this is how I feel. And that guy didn't know me from Jack. He just knew, knew me from the Vetpreneur tribe. Yeah. Was, you know, Stephen, when I hear you say that, that was good that he felt like he could reach out to you or found somebody to find that help. But oftentimes that may not be happening. You know, as we talk about many are turning to substances, because Dan, even in your own experience, you know, you got to a point where you, of course, I know you're dealing with the mental health challenges that you're facing. You know, he talks about the knowing that you were the one who survived and going to substances to cope. How often do you think that is probably happening where veterans are saying, OK, this has gotten too much. Maybe I haven't found someone I can talk to. I'm carrying this baggage and somehow I need an escape. So I'm turning to substances. Do you think that's what's happening a lot of times? Yeah, for, for me, that's what it was. Of, you know, I'll, I'll unpack something that was something that I discovered, you know, along this path was, you know, every person in the world carries a backpack and that backpack is filled with bricks, right? And over time, that backpack gets heavier and heavier and heavier. 
some of us that went overseas and seen combat, some of us in the military, firefighters in general, there comes a point in that backpack where it gets heavy and it becomes overwhelming, right? So you go from control to chaos and your life becomes chaotic. And so your whole time you're telling yourself, I just want to calm down. I just want to calm down. So you have a few drinks, you know, you, you take painkillers, you smoke weed, whatever, right? You get into that realm. And a lot of us, especially myself, are convinced that because, you know, I got blown up in, in Solder City, I have a TBI, therefore I have PTSD. That's literally, I, I always thought TBI and PTSD were one. And that was the surface of what I, I basically said, okay, I have, I'm allowed to have PTSD because of this. And I just would say, I'm, you know, I'm having a bad day because of this. What I want got people to come from this conversation is, is when I dug deeper, I found out the whys of why I joined the military. The why of why I was close to my SEAL brothers, et cetera, is my, my military experience was a few bricks. My childhood was many bricks. And that's the one thing I, that I hope people understand that what you come in the military with doesn't go away. And everybody has a motivating factor for joining the military. For me, I, there was nothing gonna, good going to happen without me joining the military. I was going down a path of terrible consequence. And I never really looked into that until I did look into it. Now that I've looked into it, it makes me understand addiction, mental health disorders much better, much greater. And I find that most people's existing conditions come well prior to the military and the military is the final bricks in that and the the big aspect of that is understanding that if you can get to the why you can actually get to the how and the how for everybody to understand is it's just sleep what is every guy getting they just want to turn their brain off for a few minutes we give them all kinds of tools meditation yoga you name it and like me i was like that's all fooey i ain't doing any of it until I was able to put, get myself in a mental place where I could do it. For me, it was just, I wanted to turn my brain off and not think. And what I've discovered was none of us sleep. And without sleep, we're not healing. We're not naturally healing our body. We're not naturally resting our mind. And anytime you drink alcohol, take pills, it upsets your sleep arrhythmia. And that's the part of what what I'm trying to really focus on and how I help guys is getting deeper into the why so they can get to the how. Right now we're throwing so many hows out there at people, especially veterans, dogs, horses, hiking, you know, this, that, but they're never getting into the why. And that's my challenge to everybody who's watching this today is if you're a struggling person, why? Don't look at the military. What was before that? Did you have a rough childhood? Did you have a bad divorce in your family? Did, did something tragic happen deeper and deeper? Each time I dug deeper, I found more why, which makes really a lot of sense in my life now, has answered so many questions. And my life is very quiet and peaceful now that I found and sought those answers. And oh, the wow. how is easy. I can meditate, I can do yoga, I can do those things that I was always thought were stupid. And that's literally the way I thought. I can do them now and understand the reason for them. Wow. I mean, I think that's so powerful, Dan, to dig deeper. You know, like you said, sometimes you're going into the military and that's just that final brick that, you know, that causes all of those things to come to the surface. So, Annette, I, I want to go back to you. If someone is dealing with that and trying to dig a little deeper, um, how, how liberating has it been for you to finally start to dig and say what's going on and to admit that you were having some health, mental health challenges. What was that like? Was that freeing when you finally talked about it or got it out? What, what was that feeling? 
It, it was freeing. It was terrifying. It was, it was so many mixed emotions because as I started to open up, I started to see people distance themselves from me. And that was hard because uh, in my mind, I'm still Annette, but in their mind, they saw, well, Major Wittenberger didn't, she never used to be like that. Like they, she never, she always smiled and, and she never talked about anything that was wrong. And so now Annette is laying it all out. <laughs> you know, it's, and you know, I just, I'm actually publishing a book like Saturday. Saturday, my book comes out and I've, as I dug deep into trying to figure out why I exploded the way I did, why I had pseudocidal ideations, I felt like I could breathe again because it's like, you know what? I'm not going to let my past define me. I went through so much crap, but God kept keeping me here, you know, for a reason. And I try to help people realize that. And I, I've heard... I've heard this uh, this mantra three years ago, I think, your mess is your message. And I keep playing that in my mind as I go through certain things um, that it is. We all have, whether it's a small mess or a big mess, we're all going through something, but it's your message now on how, how are you going to turn that around? You know, and even doing my podcast, I've had people that have been sex trafficked or, or, I mean, these stories are just, I'm speechless, but now they're here to show you that there's hope that you can make it. And so that's what's, you know, that's what gets me through it. And I, I think I'm at that age and I'll be 46 and I don't give a crap anymore <laughs> what people think because you know what, this is my life and this is what I'm doing to help other people and I want to leave a legacy. And, and so, you know, that's, that's what helped me. You know, I'm not going to say that every day is just, I'm so great. I'm publishing a book and all this stuff. There's still days like Stephen was saying on Monday, you know, I'm reminded that we lost 30 soldiers in Afghanistan and I was so angry because of the mission and all these things, but I felt like I didn't have a right to be angry because I wasn't with them on the, you know, on the, uh, on the battlefront. I wasn't with them when they were, when they lost their lives. So I, I just, I didn't have validation to be so sad. So it, it's hard. There's still days that are really, really hard, but, um, you know, then I look to all you guys and I think, you know what, there's, we're okay. We're going to make it. You know, there's a reason why we're still here. And Stephen, I just want to go to you now on this. So what about the family members? You know, there are people here, we talked a little bit about the veterans and saying, hey, it's okay to reach out for that help. Um, you know, Annette described it as finally being able to breathe. I mean, that's huge just in terms of releasing that barrier and saying, um, that burden and saying, hey, I need help or, hey, I need to talk about this. But what about the family members who are watching, who may be noticing things that may be going on with their loved one who was a veteran or during Memorial Day? What would be your words of wisdom for them? How can they, what should they be looking for in terms of signs of a problem and how can they they help or support? Well, I, you know, I think the, the, the biggest issue is the tit for tat, you know, in relationships when you're when you're when there's commonality between people and you see each other every day, especially during COVID, you have that tit for tat. Both people are frustrated. The other one wants to, you know, there was this, there's a story about the guy coming home from combat and his wife's his wife has given him, you know, a harassment about not doing the dishes. And this guy just got back from Iraq and is, you know, still 
uh, thinking about. So it's about you know finding the relative uh, place to start talking to each other. Um, you know, we have issues too sometimes. You know, with my I go with temper or whatever. Um, and I think family members they have it really difficult because typically the protector in the family, let's say it's a guy or a girl who was in, um, in, in Iraq, they come back, they have that sort of providership attitude or that protector attitude kind of person because that's where they come from, right? And so they're not going to show weakness to their partner necessarily unless it gets to a breaking point. And when it gets to a breaking point, typically it's too late for words, right? So, you know, I don't, I, I can't say what to watch for. I think everybody's different. I think probably Dan, Dan probably has something more to say to that, but more than I could. But what, what I know is that no one could deal with it. <laughs> you know, no spouse I had or no, I had two, but I had no girlfriend or whoever it was could ever deal with it. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? But I, I also got to say this, is that a lot of people don't want to understand because they, don't, they can't, they can't. It's, it's like, you can tell someone what it's like to go to war and, and do whatever you did, but they'll never understand it. And so they don't even try or they, they can't try it. So it's, I, I think someone told me this the other day, it was like, women have, you know, a monthly cycle where people know, okay, she's in a bad mood this week or whatever for someone, right? And that's 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 universally accepted. But a dude with PTSD or PTSD or a woman with PTSD, hey man, suck it up. You know what I mean? Like you're the father, make it happen. This is your job. This is who you are right now. You know, and they're saying suck it up, suck up PTSD. You know, I mean, I tramped on a foot. I tramped on a. You know what I mean? Like I saw decapitate. You know what I mean? It's like, and so I think sometimes we got to look at the relativity of it all. Like. If, if your husband or your wife was in war, just ask them, how do you feel, man? Like, how do you really, really feel? Take off your partner hat and put on your buddy hat. Mm -hmm. Just talk to them and just listen to them. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Dan, I, I wonder if you want to piggyback on that because you said there were a time where it was challenging with you and your wife. What would, what did she do that was so beneficial that helped you kind of through this process that maybe you could share with other wives or um, spouses or partners who are out there that helped you even to get help, you know, when you realize, hey, I'm dealing with an, a substance use disorder to alcohol. But what, what did she do? What was that, that that really helped? So, you know, the process for me to, to go down to the final, I call it my valley, the final valley that I fell into is, you know, obviously my wife got very, very sick. Um, she had cancer. And that was kind of the final brick in my backpack is, I really was just a coward the entire time. I, I I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Like I, my kids were stepped up so much and I just kind of drank and I, I couldn't bear to watch because it was the first time I was helpless. What happened for us is that, you know, I really took my drinking to another level and I just started, I, I worked in Silicon Valley. So I just would just go to work and it just stay there. Right. So it was just easier to be alone. What ended up happening for, for me is after I decided to, I, that I wanted my marriage to work, that I wanted to be a family man, et cetera. At that point, I think my family was kind of just done with me, um, was really coming to the realization that the deployments that I did, my wife did too. And this is a very key thing that I really discovered was that every time I went on a training mission, every time that I went on, on a real mission, my wife went too. And I never, ever considered that ever. And all the caskets that we carried, you know, obviously in the SEAL teams, we've had some tragic days. Um, and a lot of those were my friends, my platoon mates. I, when, I, when I was part of those funerals, I never in a million years considered that my wife was part of those funerals. All right, that, that even though she communicated with those wives, their kid, our kids played together, she sold houses to those guys who died. Never in a million years was that ever part of the conversation until 
I made it part of the conversation. That made sense for me so much better was to really start putting myself in her place and going, holy smokes, what did I, how much stress did I put this poor woman through, right? When I would call her, I was, I mean, the bad part for us is we have, we, we're very, we have a lot of technology in the teams. So I was able to communicate with her very well on my last deployment. And I would call her after missions that were good or bad. And I would unload on her. And it wasn't for years later that I realized that I was the cause of her stress over a long time. And so understanding that made our marriage so much better and makes it now to where when, when I'm having a bad day, because I still have them. And she comes up and she's like, are you okay? Which it just drives me through the wall. When somebody asks me, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. But instead of me reacting, I like just kind of, are you okay? And really putting myself and flipping the switch back into her. I, I have three rules, right? When I walk in my house, she'll say, how was your day? And I automatically turn the conversation, how was your day? And I really just kind of, those, there's, there's three parts that I won't get into them, but taking my mindset from me to her has just made my marriage, we're newlyweds now after 22 years. And wow. it's because I'm very cognizant of how selfish I was for so long, right? She did every deployment with me for, you know, and everything that happened along that path, she was part of. And now I look at it as there's only been one person who's ever loved me. There's only been one person who's ever cared about me. And there's only one person who gives a crap about me. And that's her. And it's really changed my mindset to when I know that I'm being that guy of understanding that I'm being that guy. It's not just her saying you're being it. She's, I'm, she's just the final part. I already know what's going on. And now I have to flip the switch and go, my bust. I apologize. How are you doing? I think that's deep. I mean, Dan, and I love that you shared that because that's a real moment that you're like newlyweds now. And I remember Annette saying not only was she in the military, but her husband was. She was a military spouse. Her, her partner was. So I can only imagine the challenges that you probably faced, Annette. And what was your advice? How did you guys navigate that? What things helped in the midst of all of that? I'm sorry, you're asking me? Yes. Okay. How did we navigate it? Well, it, it was hard because in my mind, he didn't understand. And he, you know, my husband's been in for almost 30 years. So, but he's, his mentality is so different from mine. So we were just two different people. And I took things, I'm very passionate about things and I, I feel things. So, so I'm very emotional. And my my quick answer was you you don't understand and I didn't handle it very well at all, um, you know he never realized that he was technically a caregiver um, to me because he was just trying to figure out what was going on he didn't understand why I was having anger issues and outrages and you know these isolation depressive episodes he didn't understand any of it and. You know, it, it took me up until just a few years ago to finally, finally be able to talk about it. So it was very difficult. I did not, I didn't handle it right because I didn't know and I didn't want to go see anybody because I could take care of this by myself. You know, no one's going to, who am I going to talk to? They're not going to, what are they going to tell me? Um, I went through several different therapists and none of them were me. I was just very hard-headed and stubborn thinking I could handle this myself. So, you know, just, I'm just thankful that uh, he still listens <laughs> because it's been hard. 
It's been hard. So mm -hmm. if anybody asks, you know, what, what to, you know, how to fix it or what to do, it's communication. You really, you really just have to think, even if they don't understand it, just like what Dan was saying, just have the conversation and be open because they won't understand what they don't know. You know, and it's, it's just, powerful. it's hard. I love that. And, you know, I think as we kind of wrap up our conversation here tonight, I heard so, I mean, today, actually, there have been so many things that I think we can take away from this. One, letting any veteran or military personnel who's out there know that there's they're not alone, that a lot of times if you don't get help for this, it can lead to suicide or even, you know, substance use, which we see. And Dan, it got to a breaking point, but also the important role of family in this and communicating and talking to others about this. So as we wrap up, you know, I, I just want to give some final thoughts. If there was any final message, and I'm going to start with you, Stephen, if there was any final message that you could give to those listening, whether it be a family member or a veteran, if there was anything you wanted to say that would leave a lasting impact and maybe change someone's life today, what would that be? Uh, your your circle of influence is, is a key factor to getting, to getting where you want to go. I mean, you, if you hang around with people that are um, all in the same situation, you're going to stay in that situation. So you want to find people that are above you. If you if you want to go somewhere, you want to do something, you want to make something happen, find somebody who's been there and done that and ask them, hey, how'd you do that? Right? You got you got to carry yourself, create your own reality moving forward. The past, you are who you are because of the past, but you're not who you're going to be because of the past unless you let that happen. And driving forward, imperfect action, taking those steps day by day, knowing that through certainty, knowing who you are for real and what your purpose is, that you're gonna to get to where you wanna go, wherever that may be. And you're gonna get there quicker and in a more opportune, you know, opportune way when you surround yourself with the people that are headed in that same direction and that are powerful and hopefully above your frequency so you can keep elevating yourself to try to match that frequency. And that's what's gonna push you forward. So don't give up, you got this. I know you got this, if you don't, Give us a holler and we'll, we'll we'll help you get there. I love that. I love that, Stephen. Such a powerful message of who you're surrounding yourself with. Annette, your final message of impact today to those who are listening. I'm sorry. Did you ask me or them? <laughs> yeah, sorry. That was you, Annette. I said your final message today to those who are listening. I, I, I want to carry on what Stephen said because it's so true. God has put people in my life that have changed me in so many ways and it is it's who you surround yourself with and how they lift you up and how they keep pushing you forward and how they're there just to listen i think that's what we're missing is people who just need to be heard and so remember to listen remember not to always give advice don't judge just be there to listen and that's what the people that i surround myself with do and I think it's just, it's, it's so important nowadays that we just want to be heard. I love that. We just want to be heard. I think that is such a poignant statement. We just want to be heard. I am going to take that away from me. And then Dan, I want to end with you because as of the chief, chief of staff at American Addiction Centers and helping veterans to get into treatment, I know, and even from your own recovery story, what would be your message that you'd want to leave? Yeah, and this message is for the people who are more like me. You know, I'm, I'm obviously I, I sit in a role that is surrounded by very, very highly educated people. I am not one of them. Um, I am a barbarian, so I'm going to speak to my fellow barbarians and just in very plain English. I'm a dog. 
And if I am not busy, I'm going to chew on furniture. I'm going to start fights. I'm going to pee in the corner. So for you guys, to me, find something, anything to do to get yourself off the couch. Mm. The feelings that you're feeling, the emotions that you're going through are completely normal. It's an unfortunate fact, but it's normal. All of us struggle with them. Those of us that succumb to them and allow those things to take over our lives, find darkness. Those of us that continue and stay in the fight and find ways to come into the light, get better. And if you're in that point where you need help, it's okay to ask. I was there. I'm the most arrogant, egotistical person on earth. And I finally gave up and I said, I need help. And it was the best thing, the most embarrassing thing in my life. But when it was over, I couldn't believe how tranquil and peaceful my life became. And I can just tell you that being the joy and uh, sobriety is incredible. And the everything around you just gets better when you're not when you're not in a, in a bad mind frame. And I can tell you for me as a personal experience, everything bad that ever happened to me happened either the night I was drinking or the next day. And coming to that conclusion, understanding that has really, really changed my life. Being able to talk about what I was going through has changed my life and being able to find something that gives me passion and gives me a mission mission. We are all mission oriented people. There is no bad mission. There's only no missions. And it's just like physical fitness. One push-up is better than zero. Do something every day to do, do better for yourself and for others. Wow. Such a powerful conversation tonight. I can see from the comments, many people have been touched by what you said. I want to thank you, Stephen, Annette, Dan, one, for your vulnerability, two, for just sharing your experiences, and three, for giving all of those veterans and families tonight some hope or today, some hope, some encouragement, and some words to live by. Thank you so much for joining us. And that's going to do it for another episode of Addiction Talk. Please share this with your friends, your family. Let's spread this message of hope beyond combating the stigma. Thank you for joining us. Good night. Thank you.